going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the LWE Podcast. LWE Lee Collins here, looking forward to uh, having this conversation with a guy that I have gotten a chance to know over the last couple of years. One of the best, if not the best, uh, sports journalist, journalist here in South Carolina. Matter of fact, he was just now voted Journalist of the Year for the state newspaper. And uh, I know, uh, I know, he doesn't like to brag on himself, so he lets everybody else do it. But he does a fantastic job covering all of the high school sports in and around South Carolina, located mainly in the Midlands area. But he, he does a great job of covering for, for a lot of the action that takes place throughout the year for uh, from everything, from anything to do with football, basketball, baseball, a little bit of everything. Uh, he covers it all. Lou Bijak. Lou, how you doing, man? Great to have you on the podcast with me. Appreciate you having me on, Lee. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. It's uh, It's been a busy time kind of wrapping up football and uh, getting ready to head into basketball for sure. Yeah, you don't get no time to sleep. I mean, because basketball starts pretty quick with the preseason tournaments, and I know you've been covering a lot of the big preseason tournaments in basketball, but um, you you don't get much time to kind of dwell on anything. You kind of have to stay after it. That, yeah, between that and also with, with recruiting, sign, early signing day, helping uh, we got the transfer stuff with uh, South Carolina Clemson and, I mean, it's a lot. Christmas is, uh, and then you throw in the Christmas tournaments uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a lot going on in December for sure. Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the the recruiting stuff, maybe toward the back end of, of our conversation. Uh, the the big part of our conversation today, I want to kind of focus in on on the upcoming realignment and what potentially could be some situations in the in the high school league here in South Carolina where the multiplier being brought in. I know it's been a source of contention and controversy in a lot of ways for a lot of different people for a lot of different parts of the state. First and foremost, though, I just want to do a, a recap kind of of the state championship weekend. I thought, uh, except for the 1A game, pretty much every game was uh, pretty exciting and dramatic. And um, I know you had a chance to be there to cover it. Um, I, I first kind of start with the, the Dutch Fork story. I mean, nobody uh, loves the, the the attention going against him like Tom Knox and us against the world mentality. Dutch Fork defensively, uh, just an outstanding job that they did in that rematch that they had for the state championship. Uh, what are your thoughts about what Dutch Fork was able to do this year? Yeah, just uh, starting off 0-3, and then they were 2-5 and at one point. They, they lose their uh... – they lose the white knoll to um, to start off the room. White knoll ha- having a great year, but they had some injuries, some other stuff. I mean, to be honest, this wasn't a typical Dutch Fork team as far as talent wise, and that there wasn't any. I mean, no Bryce Thompson, Jalen Hyatt, uh, Jarvis Green guys <laughs> that, that that were huge playmakers. So they kind of had to uh, do it. I mean, the running game, the defense was outstanding. Um, they get John Hunt back, quarterback, but then, then he goes down in the playoffs, uh, early in the playoffs, and then Ethan Offing comes back, I mean, relieves him, and then he gets hurt. And so, I mean, Hunt's back for this championship game, and uh, he was back uh, in the, the semifinal game, led, led the team on, on a drive, to, uh, and they win on a last-second field goal. And then they, they get White Knoll in the rematch, and – we know Coach Knotts and Coach Pelham, Coach Pelham coached under Coach Knotts. So that was a great storyline. And Coach Pelham's son was a player on Dutch Forks team. So it, it was fun, a fun week to cover a lot, a lot of storylines in the game. I mean, um, the defense, I mean, Dutch Forks defense, I think, limited uh, White Knoll to about a, a little less than 120 yards. And 
they created short fields in the second half and were able to um, to get a win and uh, get number eight for uh, Coach Knotts, I believe, in South Carolina. So he actually has more state championships in South Carolina now than, than he does in North Carolina. Yeah, he's, he's put together a heck of a resume and, and doesn't look like there's any signs of that slowing down. And as you said, probably not the uh, cleanest season that they have had in that run, but uh, you know, we've seen that from a lot of these programs. I mean, sometimes you just win with by your tradition, uh, maybe when things are not going your way. And I think that's kind of what happened for them, especially when they got into the playoffs. Uh, another team that really had a great season and, and was running off of what they did last year was South Florence. And, you know, I got a chance to, to see Westside in person this year against Abbeville. Um, seen them the last two years, knew that they were really close to really taking that next step. Uh, Brian Lane has done a great job pretty much everywhere he's gone. He's an offensive guy, so they put up the numbers. Um, but he was finally able to kind of get over the hump. But uh, South Lawrence, you know, we talked about what they did last year with Lenar Sellers and then coming back this year and get to this matchup. Man, this was a great game too and a uh, pretty impressive uh, uh, win for Westside. Yeah, and it was, I mean – Southside, I mean, it was a different way that um, uh, South Florence got back because last year they were with Sellers. They had the dual threat there. To, this year they're pretty much a running team. Yeah. Um, and they they uh, just they, they ran the ball a lot. They did a lot out of the Wildcat. They had two or three guys. They had Gilbert and then Livingston that were that were really good. Um, and, then, and then it was a great game. They had they kind of had West Side where they wanted. They jumped out. I think it was 14 nothing. Westside come back. Cutter Woods is going to be a good one um, for sure. That's a, why you got all those offers. They got two Division One receivers, actually three Division One receivers. Yep. Uh, one, one's going to NC State in Boston. Williams is going to Chattanooga, and then uh, the tall kid is uh, walking on a coastal. So they they hung in there. They forced a fourth and one. Um, South Florence they were going to run the Wildcat. They weren't stopped all all day, and then they get a false start, so they had the punt. Westside gets the ball back with about two and a half minutes left, and they drive and uh, score with 15 seconds left to to take the lead. It was just a great game, great game, great excitement. Uh, I was on the South Florence sideline. That was a uh, that wasn't a fun sideline to be on. Um, they kids uh, really took that loss hard. Yeah. They thought they had uh, number two in their grasp back to back, but uh, it wasn't meant to be. Well, we talked about up here uh, with the 3A in the upper state. It was a gauntlet with so many good teams, BHP and Clinton and Daniel. And Daniel obviously has been a real big staple in the upper state uh, going up against Camden. And this one might have been the most exciting game uh, of, of the weekend as they were able to uh, go into a little extra football, free football time. But uh, talk to me a little bit about Camden's season for maybe some of our listeners that don't are not familiar with them. And um, boy, their quarterback, he, he reminded me a little bit of a low-key Jared Lorenzen from Kentucky of, 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 of the days gone by. I mean, his kid was just a huge. And, you know, I think everybody in the stadium knew he was going to run that last play in, but, you know, they found a way to stop him. But what a, what a game this one was. Yeah, it was great, and uh, they fell behind. It looked like Daniel was about ready to to uh, put the, I mean, to route them early, but um, but they hung in there. They they got the stops in the second half. They forced forced some turnovers, and yeah, Grayson White was phenomenal with it. just the numbers he put up at Camden and his uh, two and two and a half plus years as a starter. And uh, you're right, he's about 6'1", 6'2", 250 pounds, squats over 500 pounds. I mean, he's a state champion in uh, 
the strength meet uh, early uh, last year. I mean, he just he's just something. He kind of wields this team. They kind of fed off him, and they get that touchdown. Uh, they give up a touchdown in overtime, and then they score. And uh, Coach Rimp decides, uh, and uh, rightfully so. I don't think I think they would have trouble stopping Daniel. So they were like, let's try to win it right here. And uh, it was similar play that that they scored on on the two point conversion to tie it in, in regulation. So. I think Daniel kind of knew what was coming, and uh, uh, they, they linebacker—I forget his name—did a great job yeah. uh, meeting, getting there first, and uh, was able to stop him until about the one one yard line to end the game. But uh, yeah, well, great game, great game uh, by, by both teams. And Daniel, uh, third title in four years, is is pretty darn good. Yeah, they uh, they just continue to be a pipeline up there in uh, Central South Carolina, and doing a great job there. And, and again, 3A, like I said, upstate 3A was really strong this year. So they were going to come into that game pretty pretty well tested. Um, obviously, the 2A matchup was uh, kind of unique in a sense of it was it was kind of a, a first-time matchup in this game for the teams, two teams that are familiar with each other. Obviously, um, we know a lot of the storylines with uh, how they have kind of came to be in, in, in football the last uh, the few years. But Great Collegiate Oceanside, really, I, I thought it was a good game. Uh, I thought Great Collegiate did a great job coming out uh, strong. But but Oceanside, you know, we, we saw them last year against Abbeville, Lou, and um, very impressed with them last year. But it just felt like to me this year they really um, kind of improved a little bit on their defense. And really their defense was really what, what stepped up in this ballgame in the second half especially. Yeah, they did. They they shut them down, and uh, it was an interesting story because they had that freshman. Their, their starting quarterback goes down. I think the first game in the playoffs, they put this freshman in. Well, they kind of did a little bit of a two quarterback combo early in the playoffs, but they, they put the freshman Riddenbach, and uh, he was phenomenal in that championship game, just uh, on that stage and uh, making the big passes and the throws. And uh, they get there. It's twenty eight twenty eight. It's it's late. They they're about ready to think it was a forty-seven yarder or maybe yeah. forty-three yarder, and then um, Gray calls a timeout, kind of ice them, and then they they think about it. And <laughs> Coach, Coach Wilkes decides. Uh, he, I think he said after the game, "What what am I doing? Yeah, we got this, and we're <laughs> moving. And why not go for it?" So that extra time helped them do that, and uh, they they go for it. They pick it up, and they score a touchdown, and they were able to. Uh, hold, hold Gray off on that final drive uh, to win their first uh, state championship in football. Yeah, they had um, obviously, like I said, they played Abbeville last year. Um, you know, they were in 3A uh, before coming down to 2A. Um, so they, they've been kind of knocking on that door as well. And of course, Gray, uh, we know about their story this year and, and all that they've had to do as far as, you know, playing out of conference and trying to get games and stuff like that so really made a good run i thought it was a great game i really thought the whole weekend was good like i said christchurch uh winning back to back in one a really dominant over johnsonville that that game was pretty much decided before halftime but um a lot of credit to johnsonville for getting there um lower state seems like in class a has just kind of been like a potpourri the last few years uh with a lot of different teams you know we're used to seeing teams like lamar in there and bamberg uh, Hemingway's been in there a few times, so uh, Johnsville was able to get there. But man, Christchurch just really just kind of took it to them. Yeah, they 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 did, and it was it, it was ugly. They they dominated. And, I mean, Christchurch is really good, so and they just uh, really put it on them. And uh, Johnsonville was frustrated at times. It, it was a sloppy game at times. I think yeah, 
the one stretchers, eight straight penalties called, eight straight plays with penalties. So it was it, it was a rough game. But, yeah, Christchurch definitely with, with the talent they have and the running back, the reader kid, you know, in the Northwestern and um, rep at uh, receiver and uh, Hendricks, a quarterback. They're, they're really a powerful offense and um, definitely made a statement in their win. And, yeah, that was the only bad game of the week. And weekend and uh just a good venue too there's the move to sc state i I think was a really good one um we'll see if it sticks i know it was just a one-year thing but uh i think all the people that i talked to it was very positive the parking um there's bigger stadium and spread out a little bit more um and people it's the crowds were good so i we'll we'll see hopefully they they bring it back there at least for another year I, i think it was a a pretty good venue to host the championship. Well, listen, next year don't break the elevator in the press box either, okay? Yeah, well, that was the only thing. That was <laughs> only one. It, it wasn't working Thursday and uh, a little bit on Saturday, but uh, it wasn't too bad, though. <laughs> um, well, listen, I, I want to get into this discussion real quick about the, the things that are going on with the high school league in general. Obviously, pretty much this whole uh, – football season especially there's been a lot of conversation about the the possibilities of of some changes coming and I know you have been kind of right there following along uh every step of the way with with everything that's kind of developed first of all I guess we kind of start backwards so so we have realignment that is about to take place uh which happens every two years um and this realignment obviously will have a little bit of an asterisk by it because of the new multiplier rule uh which has been kind of voted on by the executive committee to be put into place. Now, I know that the appeal panel had a discussion this past week along with Jerome Singleton and, and a representative from, from South Carolina with, uh, with the possibilities that, you know, I, I saw where the, uh, the government is looking to maybe try to, the, to put a bill out there to, to, to kind of take away, but uh, basically kind of do away with the high school league in so many ways. I find that a, a hard bill that's going to get passed. Um, but I guess the, the way I want to start with it is just kind of looking at it from what the biggest effects are going to be here with realignment, because obviously with the multiplier, that's going to that's going to affect uh, a lot of teams and, and a lot of teams are going to are going to feel it, especially a lot of the teams in the bigger, I guess you could say, city regions and stuff. I think about like teams in Greenville, Spartanburg, even in the Columbia area, Lexington area. Um, a lot of teams may move up one. Some may move up even two. Um, what's been kind of the general feeling? I know you may or may not have had a lot of conversations with the coaches, but um, what's been the general feeling about some of the possibilities that are coming up with the moves here? Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how, how far and uh, trying to get some of the numbers on at least some of our local teams and um, going up. I mean, and then, then they made the decision – um, the, the parameters that, that were sent out this week, uh, the recommendation by the realignment committee about splitting things in the in five A to two championships, uh, kind of will, will help things a little bit. Then you have four A, three A. I mean, you basically be six classification, but th- they couldn't. They would have had to uh, put another amendment. Yeah. To the, to go to six classifications, you wouldn't be able to get that till March. So they couldn't wait to do that. So that's, that's why the split people are like, well, why don't they do six classification? Well, you can't because you would have to get everyone's approval. And the only way you do that is in March at the 
the league meeting there. So that's why you're not. So, um, yeah, it's going to be it's challenging because coaches and that they're especially football coaches trying to get their schedules for the next two years, trying to figure out who, how big your region's going to be. The region's either going to be six or eight, it looks like. And if it's an eight team region, I mean, you only have to get three non conference games, which would be good. And hopefully, it will be um, geographically. They're going. They try to do geographically um, close, less in the region, which will be kind of easier, I think, in the bigger. Uh, classifications 5A, 4A, because there's more schools around each other. So um, the, that's going to be interesting to see and just uh, wh- where the cutoff is. Uh, I think if they want to have between 52 and 60 in the biggest class. So uh, wh- where do you draw the line? And um, it's going to be interesting to see. And as far as that bill, uh, I mean, that's a, a bill uh, with the, by Shannon Erickson in the House Education Committee. They've had those three or four um, uh, meetings, those public meetings that people spoke at, talked about um, just the competition and the competitive balance, among other things, or some other things, the homeschool thing also talked about. But, yeah, they're going ahead with that bill uh, and see if uh, see what, what could happen. I don't think there's not a lot of – everyone I talked to is not, not in favor of it. A couple not a, would like to see – Something changed, maybe at the top or something, but most of them are just like, let, let the high school league run it, just uh, tweak things a little bit, try everyone come together and, and work that way instead of, you don't want government. I mean, the, the way they would set it up is everyone, there would be no one affiliated with a school, whether it be a coach, a principal, athletic director on that the, the committee uh, for that. I mean, if the education department runs the high school league. So, I mean, you're going to have like, legislators running, I mean, doing uh, scheduling, uh, officials, eligibility. I mean, it's just unrealistic. It's it's bizarre and it's, but um, I don't think it will pass, but you never know, but hopefully uh, we won't have to worry about it. But yeah, it's a lot, a lot of change and a lot of different <laughs> things gonna happen to next year. I mean, you're gonna have, how, how far do the, the charter schools move up in the realignment? Does Gray move from 2A to 4A? Uh, which is a possibility. I don't see Oceanside moving up past 3A just to, because they have a bigger attendance zone. Um, and how far do the private schools move up? Do they go to 2A or is it 3A? So uh, a, lot, a lot to be determined. And they want to have the initial realignment, at least the classes, out by um, by next Tuesday. So we'll see. Well, you know, and, and, and for, for those that may have kind of maybe been under the rock or not kind of following along with what this multiplier means, this is something that's not uh, kind of brand new. This is something that has been kind of uh, established in several states. Uh, I know, you know, obviously Georgia, I think I think North Carolina has it maybe too. I'm not sure, but uh, I know Georgia, uh, a lot of uh, kind of going back and connecting with what they have done and, and just – a lot of the uh, of the process there, but basically it just it takes for every student who is not zoned specifically for that school, they'll basically count as three. I think the the, the odd thing about this thing is is that as schools are going to be moving up, there's also a chance there's some schools that are going to be dropping down. Um, mm-hmm. I think Abbeville might end up being a one A school. Um, That's what the talk is for sure, and. And, you know, and, and again, this is this is kind of affecting everybody across the board. A lot of the conversation for this came about started with competitive balance. And 
you know, for many years, for some of the sports that were not necessarily high profile sports, and when I say high profile sports, I'm talking about as a whole within the state, uh, things that are like, you know, golf, uh, tennis, uh, little smaller, smaller team sports. Um, there was a lot of, I guess you could say, domination by some of these mm-hmm. other schools and really never really heard much of a pushback. It wasn't until things kind of started shifting, especially in, in football and basketball and baseball. And then I think, you know, uh, I, I can't remember what the number was, but I think it was, what, like 35 championships. And mainly in 1A and 2A is where yes. this conversation has really kind of been uh, anchored in. But 1A and 2A, I think, like 35 championships in the last couple of years. And, um, and again, you know, I know you have you have kind of been – able to hear a lot from from that side of things so maybe kind of give a perspective you know from the people that may listen to this from from the upper state or or from schools that are not private schools give a give a little bit of an account or what the pushback has been from the private schools when it pertains to this competitive balance thing yeah competitive i mean they're put i mean they think i'm trying to word i mean it's it's a hard thing to yeah, the private schools. They, I mean, the pushback. I mean, obviously, they, they're people saying that, that you draw from a different. I mean, uh, the recruiting aspect comes into mind too, and just, I mean, Greenville area is a little different. Like for the private school, I mean, they they have open enrollment, and a lot of these districts have open enrollment in your district. So, but if you're you're zoned outside of, I mean, if you should be going to jail, man, but you're going to Christchurch, I mean. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah. they, they say, I mean, and then there's what the charter thing is. They, I mean, they're saying the cap and the enrollment, which charters can only have a certain amount of kids in the school. That That's part of their charter. Yeah. I mean, it, it's written in their thing, whether, I mean, like I said, I think Gray's about 600. Oceanside might be a little bit more. And then, then you got two new charter schools uh, coming in. Uh, you had uh, Atlantic uh, Myrtle Beach this year. And then, um, you got another one opening up in Spartanburg next year, Mountain View. So it's definitely um, it's skewed things. Uh, I mean, and great, great collegiate made it clear where, where they stood. They 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 don't mind playing up a classification. They just wanted a, something the same for everyone. They don't want to be basically singled out. And, yep. and it was one one of the suggestions by the competition committee. The many was put private and charter schools in their own playoffs, which. Uh, while it sounds good, it's could be logistically. I mean, just as far as the travel and is there enough of them to be competitive? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of charter schools, but a lot of them aren't competitive in sports, or some don't even have sports. So, um, it, I, they they didn't want that to happen. So um, that that's why. Uh, I mean, they're on board with the multiplier. I mean, now I mean, you basically, don't have a choice because I don't think like the private schools. I don't think they're going to Skiza. Uh, they're, they're not, people who ask, well, why don't they just go and skis it? Well, they, they want to be part of the high school league. So that's that, that's why they're not. And they, they pay their fee just like the other schools uh, in the state. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Like I said, uh, Skiza, uh, I talked to Skiza, um, Mike Fanning, asked if they've been reached. They haven't yet. So, I mean, I mean that, that would always be a possibility if they, they feel that, that, that it's not for them. But I think they want to compete. And I think – Coach Hatfield was asked after the state championship game about moving up and this being their last year in Class A. He's like, well, we'll go wherever they want uh, us to go. And, um, you know, I mean, and then they win when they're out in 2-3. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, it's just 
I mean, you can't just keep moving them up, moving them up. I mean, if yeah, I mean, I guess it's a possibility, but the multiplier is definitely uh, it, it's a two, like you said, these realignment happens every two years. So if they feel like it doesn't work, like Georgia, I think the first time they did it, it was uh, it was only uh, two. Now they moved it up to three, and the same teams were, were winning after two. So that's why they moved it up to three. So I mean, it's worth a shot. It's something. It's change. It's a little different. And then you could see if you could see after two years what worked, what didn't work. So and then go back and um, if something else is needed or um, you could revisit that in two years time. Don't you kind of see this as really the biggest point of contention right now that is really kind of affecting both sides is this proviso that is yes. kind of been the biggest holdup because the proviso in, in a sense, it's, it's wanting to maintain a fair treatment for every school, no matter right. the school situation. The downside to that, which I think a lot of the schools that push back on different things don't realize is that you can't have it be fair just one way and indifferent on another part of it. And I, and I think that's where a lot of the contention for the proviso is, is that people are wanting it removed because if you want to be treated fair, because I know a lot of the bigger public schools now, the, the schools that may have thought, well, we're not going to be affected by this. Some of these, you know, four, eight, five, eight schools, they're going to be affected by this now. And, and especially getting a chance for them, some of them maybe to move up, more because I know a lot of those schools have kind of been on the fence the last few years. They could have been either or um, in, in different ways. But um, I think the biggest thing that has to be addressed at some point is going to probably have to be the proviso. Do you think there is a, is a chance that that gets addressed uh, anytime or it maybe just let's just see how this thing does as a trial thing for two years and then, and then go back from there? Well, it was addressed in the spring. They tried to get her – yeah, the uh, the spring legislation uh, they tried to get it removed so that the high school league wouldn't be hamstrung and be able to um can they would have the power to say hey you're moving up a class everyone every private and charter school is moving up a class and they would have been able to do that and but it was voted against in that that subcommittee that uh, meeting and they, they Russell Watts been a big provo- proponent uh, of that and uh, I mean they tried to get it. Tried to get it reversed, but uh, it just didn't happen. So, um, so they're stuck with it. And some say it's really not as it really isn't shouldn't be as big a factor as it is. But it is. You got to treat every school the same, and uh, th- that's why the multiplier it applies to everyone. And that's why I think um, everyone seems to. I mean, it, it seems the most fair thing uh, for everyone at, at least uh, going in going forward. Um, and, and I know you got a chance to kind of follow along with the, the pilot panel uh, meeting that was happening uh, the other week. And, uh, and I guess that's where the other side of this kind of comes into play. I know a lot of people have been kind of asking me questions about this and I think there's been some kind of, you know, explanation on it, but maybe for those that don't know for sure, uh, just to kind of sure up the appellate panel, basically their, their power, their, their purpose is to, to listen to any of the appeals from the schools that have points of contention with whatever Mm -hmm. the high school league passes down. Say for example, with the realignment, uh, we, and we've seen this every year, you know, every two years when we have realignment, there's some schools that appeal, uh, mostly maybe because of geographic reasons or if there's a certain hardship deal or, or special consideration or whatever the, the verbiage is. But, 
how will the appellate panel play a big part in this? Because my thinking is, from what I heard from that meeting, I feel like there's going to be some schools that are going to appeal when they're moved up one way or the other. And then I feel like maybe the appellate panel might overturn some of that. So how does that counter counteractive the the whole multiplier idea anyway? Well, I mean, every, every school, every, every, at least since I've been covering it, I mean, you're going to have schools appeal uh, your realignment. Like you said, if you don't want to move up, some want to move um, – some actually want to move up. They think moving up a class would, would help them just for geography-wise and, and stuff like that. And you see it. But the last two realignments, you've seen less and less appeal. And um, by, by schools, you've seen less just because, I mean, it's they, they've done a good job. The high school league and everyone involved has done a good job trying to get the, the most fair – uh, realignment in, in the regions and in the classes that they can. But yeah, the appellate panel will have their, their say, um, but they, they can't make the rules. They can just, uh, appeal, they could just listen to the complaints and that meeting, uh, the, the one that was, that happened last week, it was actually a little different because it wasn't a school, um, like appealing. It was uh, one of the legislators i think from greenville he yeah. just wanted a more i guess just on, on the multiplier he just wanted to know the reasoning for it more of a discussion and a lot of people were worried hey well the multipliers they're going to try to overturn the multiplier well no they he just wanted more discussion and they, he thought people thought oh the appellate panel will t- overturn the multiplier they can't only if i mean no no one appealed the multiplier so i mean it's just he wanted more discussion and he, basically the reasoning. Why'd you do it this way? Why were, um, why where'd you get the number number three and that? And that was some of the things brought up in the the education that subcommittee meeting with the Department of Education because they're like, well, they didn't even talk to us about it. I mean, the high school league didn't have to talk to the education department about oh, that they're doing a multiplier and that. I mean, they're it's they're they're their own legislate they're in their own business they didn't have to go and seek permission from the department of education so that that's where a little bit was and yeah. um some of the some of the people on the pelopan you could tell they weren't fans of the multiplier or at least how it came about yeah but um but not, nothing was overturned but yeah you're going to see some schools it's going to be interesting what their rationale as far as their appeal they gotta better have a strong appeal for sure um because it I think there will be more than it has been the last couple of years, but um, you, you better have some concrete evidence and some stuff because it's, it's, it's about a 50, 50 shape. Usually the, these appeals, how they work over the years. So you just be, better be, um, <laughs> I think Dixie had a few, a uh, couple of times that they've appealed. And I know a couple, two of, or one time ago, it was Blythewood and Spring Valley. They did a co-appeal, and it, it worked. It basically changed the region um, that, that, that they were in. So it, it works. You just like you gotta you gotta bring your information. It has to be concrete and um, just not hey, we just don't want to do it. So you gotta have a you gotta be have a lot of knowledge and what um, you want to prove in this. Um. Have you have you heard anything about? I know somebody had mentioned this too about the fact of they could they could really with the realignment kind of almost do 
maybe kind of like a blind drawing where they just they have the list of the numbers but they don't have the names of the schools to to kind of look at I, I don't I guess I guess the appeal to that would be just to try to say that there's not favoritism or anything like that going toward one school over another but it seems like all the enrollment numbers the, the schools have to turn into multiplier numbers as well right yeah it's with it yeah and a lot of the schools were having their superintendent do it and yeah yeah you have to turn it in and uh um if they're i think the the one the um the competition committee thing they uh they basically said if you better have it right i mean if they think there's the number might be wrong in that then you'll be audited and make sure that everything yeah. will be correct i mean and then they talked about penalties for um enforcing stiff penalties if you report the wrong numbers which uh, that it should be i mean you better not be reporting the wrong numbers i mean right. that could throw things off for sure and uh a lot a lot of sanctions against you if you have the wrong numbers well and you know and i think you know i think football obviously you, you know it's it's the main money sport for for pretty much all schools I, I think for the majority of schools anyway i mean it's it's how most athletic departments really can survive especially when you look at 1a and 2a ranks um, and, and I think, you know, there's, there's probably some arguments to be made on, on both sides. I, I think the 1A, 2A argument obviously has been building for the last couple of years. And I, th- I think it's kind of one of those things where the 1A, 2A people are like, let's let some of these, these other schools deal with this and see what they feel about it and see if there is a difference. Because if, you know, if a gray and Oceanside move up and they continue to win in different sports and, then, like you said, I mean, you know, you only can do that sometimes. At some point, it's got to be, okay, you're just going to have to go out there and beat them. And there have been schools that have beaten these. I, I just think about this in basketball. Dixie just got finished beating Southside Christian two games in a row uh, in, in, or in region play for basketball. So, I mean, it's not – every sport is different. Some sports are a little bit more lopsided than others, but I think – there's really going to end up being only a cap is so much that you can do right with these schools as far as kind of spread the wealth a little bit. Yeah. You, yeah. You can only move school. I mean, to the highest class, I mean, say if gray would go up to four and they went at four, okay. You move them up again. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they compete in football. I think, I think basketball, they won't have a problem competing. Yeah. Uh, football, just the numbers. Cause they didn't, I mean, you're only looking at about 30 players and they moved up about 10 or, 15 for JV. So they've only had like 45 kids out, out there at total, but only about 30 that, uh, that they use. So in soccer will be a little, little bit of a challenge, even though coach Heiss, uh, I see, uh, has done a great job, uh, them running both programs. So it'll be different, but, uh, baseball, they've had success. I think it'll be a little more of a challenge softball. I think they're going to be still good as long as they keep, uh, the roster coming back. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's people are like, well, now, now it's three A four A issues, and if they start winning, we'll see what what, what the complaints are then. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's. I think it. Like, yeah. Um. I've 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 definitely have had my opinions on on issues and everything, but at, at the same time, like I said, you know, um, you got to be able to compete, and you know, I know I know there's a lot of people that don't want Abbeville to come down in one A in football. Uh, because of, you know, just the success that they've had. And, you know, the last time they went to one day, they went back-to-back state championships in football. Um, so I know there's a lot of teams that are there right now that are not wanting that to take place. Um, but then you think about there's some sports that – some schools that don't have football 
as a sport. And then there's some schools, you know, I, I think about Dixie, you know, just because I'm, I'm more familiar, you know, they've had a really up and up and rising good wrestling program, but the way wrestling is set up is one, a two way. So they have to go and, you know, they go to the upper state championship as far as the team goes and they have to play a upper classification. But if, but it's just not enough schools in one a to have, just a one a so right. every sport has its has its issues and obviously i think where we're going to have to see uh is just to see how it all plays out but as we're recording this um the official realignment will be released hopefully here in the next few days and it'll give everybody something to chew on over the holidays <laughs> among us yeah and you get i mean that's the initial thing and then you i mean then you have time to appeal and then and there's talk i don't know if they'll just re in the past, they put the regions out with the thing, but I there's a chance they just put what teams are in which classes, and then after all the appeals are heard, then you put them in regions. That, yeah, that's also a possibility as well. So I'm not sure how they're going to do it this time. If it's going to be the same before have everything your region and your class, or just your class, and then wait till all the appeals are heard. Um, and, and then kind of maybe one final thought and just kind of maybe a little bit of a, of a different uh, twist on this. You know, I know you've seen, especially in that part of the state and even in the lower state, there have been a lot of new schools that have kind of come out and, and come to be over the last decade or so um, that have been able to kind of have a slow rise too. Um, how do you think some of those schools in, in that conversation will be kind of affected by this? Because, um, I know, especially like, you know, in the Columbia area, I mean, Lexington, especially Lexington, I can't, every time I go through Lexington, I feel like it can't grow any further. It's just like <laughs> there's something on every corner, but these, these districts and counties have really grown a lot. And so how do you think some of these newer schools that are not necessarily private or charter schools, how are they going to mend with this uh, possible changes? I mean, they'll, they'll be fine. The Lexington district will be fine. There'll probably be a, a new high school. I bet you down the road, just because river bluff, and Lexington are getting so big and you got the, the American leadership Academy that opened this year, which is a, a charter school in Lexington. And then there's one going to open in Greenville this year uh, as well. So I know them, they just getting started with the program and now you're already, they're at kind of two a now, but you're going to have to go up before they even really start their athletic program basically. And I know they struggled getting numbers, at least for football, they did like a, uh, JV schedule, I think, uh, last year and uh, baseball, basketball, they're kind of doing the same thing this year, um, for this first year. But yeah, that will definitely, um, it will put more of a challenge for sure because we talk about the success that Gray and Oceanside has had, but it wasn't right away. I mean, Gray, it took a few years to get, uh, get kids to come into the school. You had to get kids to go to the school, give them a reason. And then now, now it's going pretty good and we've seen the success but it wasn't that way the first three or four years so yeah it's going to make things a challenge and it's just um and it's more of a tradition american leadership they don't have the the shorter days like some of the other charter schools do so it's more of a traditional schedule so they they're going to have their challenges as well and then you're going to have new high new schools opening up i know like in the rock hill area like katabari that that area probably the Clover area will have a new high school soon. Uh, and we know uh, Lucy Beckham just opened down in, in Charleston area. And um, you're going to see, I don't know if any new high school, other new high schools in Columbia area, unless 
like in Richland too, where Blythewood and Westwood is, um, if they open another school in that district. But yeah, so it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be a challenge. And then the low, low country, I think Ridgeland Hardyville splitting. Uh, they were two A school, and they're basically going to be two one A schools now, Ridgeland and Hardyville. So you're going to have some new schools to try and try and mix in with this as well. So um, it, it, if you're starting a school now, it's at least like a charter school. It's going to be a little more of a challenge because you're going to be up in classification to begin with, instead of uh, down and have that opportunity to build. Yeah, a lot of the smaller schools will definitely, uh, definitely, definitely feel the the, the pinch on that and, and dealing with that going forward. Um, well, like I said, you've done a great job of covering this, and, and I, I know folks can follow along with you and and keep up with the state newspaper coverage of, of this. And obviously, the well, there'll be more to talk about. I'm sure it's going to be uh, a pretty crazy next couple of months as this thing kind of gets ironed out and we hear all these appeals. I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit. Um, some Clemson Carolina stuff with you. First of all, with football, um, I want to kind of start with South Carolina. Obviously, um, not going to a bowl this year. Uh, you know, a lot of lot of talk have been about this program. You know, a lot of questions about uh, Beamer and everything. I, I kind of dispel a little bit of the stuff about him being on a hot seat. I, I think I don't think that's a necessarily a, a, a hot key subject there, but I do think that there's going to be a lot more pressure on them because they just got their schedule released <laughs> for next yeah. year. And uh, man, it's a doozy uh, with, with Oklahoma, Texas coming in and uh, the expansion of how many conference games that you're going to have to play now and, and, and no divisions and whatnot. Um, how do you see things going forward for Carolina? Because obviously, you know, you know, you're not going to have Spencer Rattler. Lenore Sellers, obviously, the guy that's going to going to have that chance to come in and be the the QB one next year. But I think for Carolina, the story has been it's just they got to get better in the trenches. So, mm-hmm. so what do you see, what do you see from Carolina going forward as they get ready for the schedule next year? Well, trenches, but I mean, I think offensive line they're they're fine uh, coming back, and they got they got a lot of experience coming back, and you're going to get the the three of- uh, the three or four or five star guys coming in, but Offensive line, you don't really – they don't come in, in play right away, even though they're talented. Like, I mean, you got Josiah Thompson, Cam Pringle, and Blake Franks. It, it might take them a little bit. Uh, th- then you'll get Marquis Anderson back from Dorman, who had to sit out this year because of the injury. Um, and they, they got their defensive line back. Um, big thing was skill, skill position. I mean, receivers yep. are pretty much dec- decimated, and they started to try and uh, uh, fill, fill in that – uh, holes and they, they got uh, Brown from uh, Coastal Carolina and McGowan from Vanderbilt. Uh, kind of speedy guys, productive guys at their um, level. Um, and then 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 they attacked it, attacked running back, and <laughs> that was also another thing. Um, you you got Joiner graduating, and you basically just have Juju McDowell coming back. Mario Anderson decided to go in the portal. So and now they've got three guys coming in. You got Rocket Sanders, obviously the big name, uh, but you got the guy from. North Texas and now the Howell kid from SC State to give you some depth at running back so you don't have to um, put everything on McDowell and then uh, DJ Braswell who played a lot as a freshman and you got Matthew Fuller coming in as well. So, yeah, I think those were two needs to begin with and then they could start um, a defensive back. They're obviously going to have some holes there as well with um, – you you got Spalding and then – Marcel's dial also graduating, but yeah, just trying to build depth. Uh, I know they want to build in, bring in one more 
experienced quarterback. So you don't have, if something were to happen to sellers that you don't have to uh, go to freshman Dante Reno, cause they've had uh, Tanner Bailey and Colton Gauthier uh, leave. And so I think uh, they'll, they'll bring in a experienced uh, quarterback, but it, it's been interesting to see um, they, they were getting, Beamer was getting a lot of heat, obviously no bowl game, but just the people leaving in the portal, Juice Wells, then leaving in Mario Anderson. But they, they've been able to keep uh, some of their core guys uh, from leaving. Um, the ones they want back. I mean, there's a lot of guys that went in the portal. But to be honest, some of them basically were told to, to, yeah. to leave. And that's the way it is. I mean, uh, you see guys going in the portal. Yeah, some of it's they, they want to maybe cash in on big opportunities. But a lot of them are told. Uh, you're no longer needed here or we don't, we don't see a role for you. So you got to do it that way as well. So I think they've done a good job early on to get, to fill in their needs and uh, we'll see what happens in these next uh, uh, couple weeks as the portal will end. And uh, you'll probably see it over again in a little bit in the summer. You see more attrition and uh, players leaving in the summer as well. Um, as far as Clemson goes, obviously they got a game coming up with Kentucky. Um and then, of course, the big news for them is just Dabo Sweeney kind of, again, kind of going outside the, the bar to uh, to be able to get some coaches hired and Coach Luke and Coach Rump, which I think were two good hires here to add to his staff. Um, but, again, it's, it's the – I guess you could say the, the issue with Clemson and Dabo Sweeney right now is the, the use of the transfer portal and, and the lack of or the lack of, you know, results coming i know they have entertained and reached out and offered different targets but just not hitting on any right now how do you see things going for clemson because obviously you know i think the acc definitely is in a, in a tough spot right now with the way the big 10 tc have expanded um acc definitely did not do itself any favors this year because the conference really had a lot of high hopes at the beginning of the year but a lot of teams including clemson kind of uh, just were average at best. So um, what do you see for Clemson going forward as they try to get back on track to, to get back to being a national contender? Yeah, Clemson will be – I think will be all right. I thought you saw Kate Klubnick play a lot better at the end of the season. Um, they, they battled some injuries. Antonio Williams wasn't healthy the whole time. And then he had Shipley and Ed. We still don't know what uh, Shipley's going to do. Uh, I would be surprised if he came back, but I, I don't know. Um but yeah, Clemson. Uh, I do like the hires of Luke and, and Rump, and uh, at least Dabo's been open to the portal now. You got you got to be. You can't be you know, just building off high school talent. It just it you're you can't you got can't do the opposite. You can't just be all portal portal. You got to have some of that homegrown talent. But you can't you got to at least uh, be open to the portal, which he has, and they've tried to hit on a few offensive linemen. That's the biggest thing in the portal: offense and defense linemen. Or at a, at a premium, and if you can get an experienced guy to come in um, to, like you said, the development of like freshman, you get freshman offensive linemen. It takes a little bit. So if you got a two-year or three-year player that you can come in and they could play one or two years for you to help bridge that gap, it, it really helps you. And I think uh, Clemson, Clemson will get their share this year. I don't think they won't have uh, a guy that will transfer in that will. I mean, I think they had the Tyson guy, that what third yeah. quarterback. But I mean, a guy that will come in and make an impact. I think they'll they'll grab a couple couple of those guys as well. And uh, yeah, the ACC is in a difficult spot. Is Clemson going to be there long term? Is Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina? Uh, How is it going to look in, in a couple of years? So 
it will be interesting. Well, you know, definitely, and, and I think they've got some some help coming in some receiver locations this year, and and obviously, um, and, and seeing what it, I mean, obviously, we'll we'll know a lot real quick because they open up with Georgia next year. So, uh, yeah, uh, if there's any if there's any glaring weaknesses, they will definitely be exposed in that game. Uh, real quick, I want to talk to you about Clemson and Carolina basketball because, man, what a great start. Uh, you know, obviously, I know with the women's team for Carolina, that's 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 kind of an understood thing. Dawn Staley is just kind of cemented her role and their legacy and their brand. But uh, talking about the job that Lamont Paris has done with this this Carolina team, obviously, them and Clemson played last week and had a great game, and uh, only one loss between both of those programs. Talk to me a little bit about uh, the state of uh, Palmetto basketball because it's uh, really exciting right now. Yeah, that was a fun game to watch, and that was really good. Um, and I like with Coach Paris. He took heat in that first year, rightfully so. I mean, it was a tough spot. The roster wasn't very good. And then you have a high-profile guy like Gigi Jackson. And he, while he had a pretty good year um, on paper, it just wasn't the year that they were hoping for. But um, they went in, and they were very aggressive uh, in the transfer portal and a couple of their signees bringing uh, guys that Coach Paris wants. He, he likes big guys that can shoot. And that, that's their identity of this team. They love to shoot the threes and um, that kind of be hanging on the three-point line. I mean, some of their success this year is going to be um, with the three-point, uh, their three-point shooting. But getting his wins, going out to Arizona, winning a couple games and beating Virginia Tech, beating Notre Dame. I know that's not the best Virginia Tech and Notre Dame teams, but still big, big win over name programs and, now gives you confidence. Uh, they should win their last three non-region uh, games, non-region, non-conference games <laughs> going into SEC play. Um, and then uh, who knows what can happen? You're at, you can be sitting at 11 wins there, and then you go and you go 500 in the SEC. You get, and then you have a chance to maybe make the playoffs. I know Joe Lenardi's bracketology this week had them as a 10 seed. So I think, I mean. The bar is from not having much expectation. Now they're raising some of the expectations. Let's see how they can uh, perform. And I think you're going to see uh, a guy that didn't play much early on because he was sick. Uh, he had uh, uh, Mono and Colin Murray Boyles, who was a, a local guy that I saw play in high school. He, he spent his last year in high school in Utah, but he, he's going to make an impact for this team. And he's a big guy. He could shoot. He's uh, gives them a really uh, a good force down low. And then you talk about Clemson and then, I mean, uh, I think the, winning ACC is not out of the question for, for this group. I mean, their experience, you guys got like P.J. Hall and Shifflin. I like the Joe Girard uh, yep. the pickup from Syracuse, and they're tough. And they, they got a couple – they played a pretty good schedule. They got some good wins, going to Alabama winning. Uh, they beat South Carolina. They beat a couple other uh, unbeaten teams at the time. So, yeah, it's – I think Coach Brunell – I mean, there was some heat on him coming in. This definitely was a big year, but all, all signs point to to them having a, a big year and uh, possibly a deep uh, postseason run. Well, you know, he's it seems like he's been on the hot seat the last three or four years, and I think he's a great coach. He's a heck of a coach, and I think he's actually done a really good job with the transfer portal himself and, like you said, being able to try to fill in some spots where they need it. Joe Girard just – I mean, from a basketball IQ standpoint, that just – up your your equity a lot more but he's just 
the experienced kind of guy you need in that backcourt because Chase Hunter is kind of hit or miss. There's games when he's good. There's games when he's just out there playing. So um, I think you have that steady part. And then we know a healthy P.J. Hall is is really good. But, this, you know, both these teams, South Carolina and Clemson, they have a lot of depth. I mean, they can go – you know, I know Clemson can go at least nine or ten deep. I think Carolina may be the same a little bit. But – and you talk about Murray Bowles getting back to full health. But um, – I wouldn't be surprised both these teams making uh, really, really good runs here this year and and, and really possibly uh, having a chance to have a good postseason. And Clemson's got Memphis coming up here in their final big non-conference. They, they got a little bit of, of a tough opening stretch because they opened up with Miami and North Carolina in a home-and-away situation. But uh, I, I definitely think they, they definitely are in the top four uh, conversation as far as uh, finishing in the ACC. And I do think they have a shot to – to maybe win an outright regular season title, which would be the first time that's happened since 1990. And I remember uh, how crazy that was that year uh, when playing against the likes of a Christian Leitner Duke team and, and other great teams in the ACC. That that stretch in that time frame, late 80s, 90s, that ACC basketball was just crazy. So um, definitely exciting for these teams. And and then real quick, uh, Don Staley, Lady Gamecocks, obviously continuing their winning ways. But they've been pushed here the last couple of games. You know, they play a great non-conference schedule every year. Uh, but, you know, they got pushed a little bit by North Carolina. Utah played them tough. Uh, what have you seen from these girls real quick uh, as they continue on with their season? Yeah, it's a different group, uh, obviously, the experience and everything that graduated with Leah Boston and the rest of the uh, Beal and Cook and, and those. But, yeah, it's kind of a fun uh, kind of a different style. They're more up and down. Uh, Malaysia, I think people around the country, it didn't take long for Malaysia full highlight to uh, yep. make an impact. I, I mean, I saw her for six years. I mean, she when they brought her up uh, in the playoffs for her seventh great year and uh, just watching her and everything she's done, I mean, nothing has been a surprise. Ashton Watkins is playing better. Um, I think Chloe Kitts has done a great job. And Pow Pow has been a great pickup. Um, from the Pac-12, uh, I think has really helped solidify that team. And, uh, yeah, they, they played a lot of good non uh, – you know, they stepped out of conference. They, they go to Paris. They play Notre Dame. Uh, they played North Carolina and Duke on the road. Um, uh, they've had uh, – obviously, they'll play Connecticut down the road, and um, everyone's looking forward to that LSU matchup as well. But, um, yeah, I think they've definitely – I don't – expectation, I mean, they were maybe – People are saying top 10 team, but uh, maybe not the year to maybe win a national championship. But this this team definitely has shown that. I mean, as long as they stay healthy, they, they definitely will be a contender and have a chance to make, make another Final Four. And also doing it with a lot of young players will help them in the future as uh, they, they, they just reloaded in, um, with the recruiting class. They got a couple good ones coming in, obviously, with Joyce Edwards. Uh, uh, signing with uh, South Carolina uh, out of Camden High School. So uh, I think uh, it's really been a good year, a little more challenging, I think, uh, for Don, but I think they're um, just because of the amount of young players and the new faces, but they've done a great job so far. All right. I got about two minutes left before we got to wrap this thing up real quick. I got to get your, I got to get your predictions, your picks here. Uh, college football playoff, the final four, who you like coming out of the, the two games and who do you like winning it all? Mm. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Uh, I hate Michigan. <laughs> you know what I'm I, but oh, I just wanted you to document it publicly, you know. So well, I do hate Michigan, but I think they beat Alabama. Uh, I say Michigan, Texas, Texas wins the national championship. 
Yeah, I think I think the Texas Washington game has has Yeah, it's gonna be really good. And it's a second game because obviously the Rose Bowl they wanted to get that early game with and yeah. uh, but yeah, that's gonna be yeah, I think that's gonna be a fun game. And I could see that's a toss up, mid Washington and Texas. Uh I think the winner of that could win win, win it all. I, I think I'm gonna go with Texas and Sarkeesian to um they win it. They win it all. Well, speaking of times changing, I mean, next next year we'll be talking about an extended playoff with college football. Expanded playoffs, and you're going to have South Carolina going to Oklahoma, and it's. I mean, it's going to be fun. That schedule, South Carolina next year is. Uh, it's no. It's not not easy for sure. You got to go to Alabama. You got Old Miss. You got Oklahoma. All of those three game stretch there. Um, so it's going to be tough, even though they're going to have a pretty good guy, set of guys coming back. But I mean, <laughs> you could see. I mean, prediction maybe six, seven wins, but I mean, yeah. it could. It's going to be tough for sure. Well, man, I, I know I've told you this uh, when I talked to you, and I know I've said it on social media, but man, you, you're the best in the biz, man. I appreciate everything that you do for, especially for high school athletics, man. I mean, you just do a great job of of keeping coverage for all the sports, all the teams, and and I know you're you're highly respected and, and well appreciated among so many of your peers and other people in the state. But I just appreciate you carving out a little bit of time on a Friday here with me to uh, to talk about this stuff, man. Have some good conversation, and and maybe when all the dust settles and the appeals are finished, we can maybe kind of have a little bit of a little quick takeaway interview about uh, what's to come with with high school sports coming up, especially with football and the new realignment coming up. Yeah, sure. Yeah, once we get everything finalized, which we should uh, sometime in January. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, whenever you need me, I'll definitely come on. All right, man. Appreciate you. I hope you have a great Christmas and a, and a good start to the new year. Appreciate it, Lee. All right, that's Lou Bijak from the State Newspaper. You can follow him on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. He does a great job on there, keeping you updated with everything. And uh, just a great, great conversation and a, and a great, great guy, great journalist, does a tremendous job. Uh, covering sports here in the state of South Carolina. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview and look forward to some more interviews coming up after the first year. Y'all have a great, great Christmas and a happy new year. God bless.